welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the Zoom land with Jeff Boyle, Vice President of Marketing and Business Development with Ventry Technologies. So for all the listeners out there, this is our second time. You know, Jeff and I, we started, you know, babbling about Corona economy and having to do Zoom meetings and this and that. And about 10 minutes deep, the old internet world decided to shut me down. So here we are round two, but I think the second time around is going to be even better. So, but Jeff, first and foremost, how's the, you know, how's, how's the Corona? I call it Corona economy because I think it just kind of all, you know, it sums it up nicely, but you know, I see you, you, you managed to have a, a nice little office area, it looks like. And so tell us a little bit about your experience over the last few months and how everything's been going. Yeah, so we're very fortunate. Our company's still growing in these headwinds because we've got the corona economy. We've got oil prices at, well, if you didn't see in Canada, they were actually negative for, for a little period of time. <laughs> yeah. So we've got inability to, to properly build safe infrastructure because individuals don't understand how energy needs to be transferred. But overall, our company's growing and my family's healthy and safe. So I'm very grateful there. Mm-hmm. 2020, unfortunately, has just kind of been deferred. Yeah. <laughs> From a startup perspective, it's deferred. We're, we're happy to still be able to show some growth, not the growth we, we wanted. Right. The real question now is, is how are we going to be able to tackle 2021? And fundamentally, from my perspective, how are we going to grow so we create more jobs in both Calgary and Houston? Yeah, that's that's one of our biggest goals in the next couple of years is is create opportunity for others. Yeah, no. And that's what it's all about. And certainly I feel for all the folks out there and, and a couple of people even close to myself have been, you know, let go due to the circumstances. And it just, you know, for some companies, it doesn't make business sense to keep everybody. So, yeah, it, you're right. It's, it's about creating opportunities for people and and creating jobs and, and hopefully getting people back, you know, back working and and through companies that are continuing to grow and positioning themselves well to come out of this thing, you know, strong is going to be is going to be huge. And so I think a lot of people are depending on companies like yours and and a lot of other ones to to help get through this thing. But you know, it's funny we mentioned you know Zoom meetings and stuff like that. I was telling you before one of my buddies does basically does home inspections for the bank and stuff like that. And he was telling me that a lot of the new homes are actually designed in a way to focus more on offices than they are, you know, media rooms and stuff like that. And so what's it been like? I know, you know, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll lead into, it's funny because one of the episodes that I had, episode 44, if people remember the last name Boyle, oddly enough, it was actually your wife. And I had no idea that Christy was your wife up until a couple of days ago. And so 
you guys are both busy. You got a lot going on. Tell me, how are you guys managing that part of it? I mean, in, in, inside the home and offices and meetings and I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, we're leading two startup software companies. Kirsty has since been given opportunity to, I mean, when she was talking to you, she was helping run as a VP, a nanotechnology company that was optimizing reservoir or utilized for reservoir optimization. She's now been able to actually leverage her MBA and, and take over as, as acting CEO and general manager for the, the parent company for EnviroSoft. So she's now using her MBA in global energy management and, and sustainability to help bring environmental software to its new chapter, which wow. is extremely important in, in this day and age. So helping each of the owner operators with that side of the business. So yeah, I've got CEO in the next room running her company of, uh, I think she has 26. And then I'm very fortunate to, to be in the leadership team of a team of 20 with a handful of contractors. So there are days where we have to make sure that our conference calls aren't leading into each other. We've got a good insulated wall between the two of us, but it's interesting times. It's both of us also used to probably be in Houston every other week. Sometimes we'd be able to plan it together. Sometimes we'd say hi to each other passing at the airport. (laughs) I could imagine uh, that that would be extremely challenging. And, And I mean, not only to run companies, but just to, to maintain a strong relationship and, and being around each other. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I, I think that that would be, that would be challenging. And, and even, you know, similarly to you, I used to travel and I wasn't home as much, but, you know, being home recently over the last few months and being accessible to my kids and my wife, it, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise. It's so, I think, you know, people really need to embrace it. And even though you're probably, in, I mean, at least for, for myself, I'm in front of my computer, if shoot, probably more than I was when even when I was heading to the office and traveling. But yeah, just, just having that time, I, th- I think it puts things into perspective and really makes you value, uh, at least it does for me, what my wife does on a day-to-day basis with my kids and the amount of work she puts into it. It's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been interesting because what we've tried to do is we've got a, we've got a golden retriever. So we'll pack up the, the dog and the family and get everyone out and we'll go for a dog walk. But it's really nice because we'll bounce each other, bounce off of each other, different things that are happening to the companies. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're both technology enabled service companies that are, are supporting the oil and gas industry as it goes down its digital transformation. Mm-hmm. So different challenges, but, but usually similar, similar approach or similar strategies can be taken and we can see how one thing's working with the other. And, if we're split, sometimes it's okay. You try that. I'll try this. Let's see who's right. No kidding. Divide so yeah, and conquer. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. And I mean, they'll even be passing passing the soccer ball with the kids and talking about that. So we'll see we'll see what our one guy starts talking about next next season in soccer. If, yeah. if he's like, well, you know, while I score this goal, let's talk about this org chart change. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, it, it, gotta, it gotta sounds like it's it all. Yeah. No kidding, man. I, I know how that is. And, and, and I give it up to you guys. And speaking of oil and gas, I just want to take a quick minute to tell the listeners about some fascinating technology that our sponsor TechNip FMC is providing. So earlier this month, they announced Frack Now and their fully integrated Frack system that leverages flexible pipe, automation, advanced digital capabilities to deliver operational efficiency, compatibility, and ease of use. 
So with 80% fewer connections and 50% fewer parts on the frack pad, they've actually been able to collect enough data to show that it yields about a 30% reduction you know, lowers overall cost by 30%, which is huge. So if anyone out there is interested in learning more about it, click the link in the show notes. All right. So, you know, we talked a little bit about it. aside from that, I mean, how's life in Calgary, man? I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Calgary. I talked to a lot of folks back home and it's just the feeling and the vibe up there is certainly, it's challenging for everybody, but up there, I mean, you guys have been challenged quite a bit just with like you know regards to political challenges and resistance with with regards to oil and gas so how's all that going right now i mean what are we looking like towards the end of the year and into next any any silver lining or hope (laughs) i mean there's there's always hope i think that's the biggest thing about calgary is there's a lot of perseverance and resiliency in this market yeah we've we've had to overcome a lot of hurdles on every angle and i mean we just with everything going on, we just had the Calgary Stampede not run for the first time in I think ninety four years. And I mean, this is this is the same city that ten days before the Calgary Stampede of twenty thirteen, the entire city flooded, and we still were able to run the Calgary Stampede. <laughs> right. That's a testament to the resiliency of of the people here. But in this market, it just it was it we had to be safe. We had to to not have it. We've had to adapt. So silver lining. We're starting to see more and more success stories of the owner operators taking this time to deploy digital transformation initiatives. Yeah. Other silver lining projects are moving forward, especially very critical needed projects such as KXL, Coastal GasLink, Transmountain Expansion. Okay. So all are, are extremely important to the entire Canadian economy. So those are still moving forward, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the hope is that there's going to be a lot more stories of as our our LNG market picks up, as our one of the one of the safest crude products in the world is able to get to to the shoreline, we'll be able to actually feed feed those major arteries with uh, smaller, more robust projects. So, uh, LNG Canada and Coastal GasLink should create a ripple effect of of more natural gas lines feeding into that artery. Interesting. Trans Mountain allows for us to continue to safely expand one of the world's largest oil reserves. And same with with Keystone XL. It allows us to to take that impact into allowing North America to be more energy independent. So I think that's a that's a critical step moving forward is both for for Canada and U.S. to to look at the prospects of being energy independent. Yeah, no, and and you you're absolutely right. And it's interesting you mentioned LNG because I think there's there's a lot of money in you know forecasting with regards to the the demand of natural gas and the supply. Even I mean we're sitting on so much of it, and so if we can maximize the resource, it'll be good for the economy and it'll be good for for everybody. You know, if you I read the EIA's 2020 outlook. And they model everything up to 2050 and the demand and power generation provided by natural gas is huge. And so I'm certainly long on gas and and I think a lot of folks are starting to see that as well. And so it's interesting to see that, you know, even though in the short run, things are not looking good, I think in the long run, there's certainly things to look forward to. And it sounds like you guys are setting yourselves up nicely for it. So good for, good for Canada. I mean, you know, it has a place in my heart. And so talking to people from back home, every time 
you know, over the last little while, it's been a little bit sad, but nonetheless, you know, I think, like you said, they're resilient. We'll get out of this thing one way or another. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's even Alberta's, I think a lot of people might not even know this, but Alberta has a carbon capture pipeline live right now that okay. is, isn't- is transferring CO2 back down into a range of, I'd say, older wells that they're they're pumping it back in for reservoir opti- optimization. Yeah, so, for EOR. So interestingly, I was reading about carbon capture storage and there's a huge, huge plant in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, I think it is. And you guys mm-hmm. have one of the biggest carbon capture capabilities. And then obviously with EOR, CO2 flooding is a big one as well. And so it's good to see that because that seems to be a hot topic of discussion. And so while carbon capture storage, there hasn't historically been a lot of need for it or money put into it. But I think you're going to see it a little bit more and more now. And and again, Canada's, I think, one of the bigger players in that game. And so, yeah, it, it's interesting stuff nonetheless. But I want to take a quick shift and talk a little bit more about yourself. So looking at your LinkedIn, you actually used to be in the recruiting industry, right? For like personnel recruiting, that's kind of where you broke out and spent a lot of time before getting on the technology side. Yeah, I did my bachelor's in applied business and entrepreneurship and really enjoyed just the the prospect of being an entrepreneur. However, after leaving school, I stumbled into an opportunity to join one of the US's largest privately held recruitment firms and spent a decade with them. But it really stoked my curiosity side because I got to staff up natural gas plants and pipeline construction projects and even staff up the skilled trade side of a frack plant and and all that kind of stuff. So you get get to be really curious and learn the business from that side, sitting with either placing project managers into their position or working with a project manager to figure out what they need to build on their team. So you, you really get to learn all the different stakeholders on a project and that company's one of the company's greatest features outside of its people was also that it had one of the best applicant tracking softwares in the industry. So okay. it was really technology enabled services that I was selling. And when I realized I wasn't fulfilling my entrepreneurship passion, that's where I found Ventry, realized that Ventry was a blend between subject matter expertise providing services to the industry as well as heavily complemented and enabled by technology. And so made the move just under four years ago and it's been a fantastic transition. Yeah. Good for you, man. No, it's interesting the experience you had and then finally realized like, Hey, I think I could actually jump into the jump in head first. And, and I mean, cause they were a relatively startup or did you start with them as a startup? No, Ventry had been around for almost four years before I joined. So oh, they did. I, okay. I got to, I got to join Ventry kind of as Ventry was taking not a full reset, but essentially taking a different approach at it. The organization, and I guess I should probably introduce Ventry a little bit. So Ventry is is all about making energy infrastructure material data accurate, accessible, and traceable. What that actually means is when a pipeline, a facility, or any energy infrastructure is built, there's for every flange fitting and pipe, there's also a data set that comes with that. It's birth certificate, which is its material test report, and all the data that follows it throughout its entire lifespan. All of our solutions are around making sure that data is usable. So Hmm. consolidate it, clean it up so it's not just a huge, nasty data lake, and also help the owner-operators see how much value they can get from not letting it get shoved into documents 
or digital paper like PDFs. So that's venturing on a snapshot. And from our perspective, our first, our first foray into the market was really just focused on traceability and helping the industry keep track of a piece of pipe like the automotive or aerospace industry do, right? QR codes, barcodes, RFIDs. So let's make sure we know where our stuff is. Right. So where's the value in that? And I mean, I can make assumptions, but for folks out there that may be like, you know, what's, what's the point of material traceability and, you know, having, you know, the integrity within the data in the pipeline industry. I mean, maybe can you compare and contrast to maybe what it was before this technology kind of entered the market and, and where really the value is in having that ability? Yeah, for sure. So a couple, couple quick ones. So there's a difference between track and trace. Okay. Or tracking and traceability. So tracking is, is your everyday Amazon or FedEx, right? Where, Mm -hmm. where's my package? Where is it? I need to know where it is. That's still valuable in our industry because I mean, some of these pipes are worth $20,000, $30,000 if they're Chrome for offshore. Yeah. Maybe more. Some of these flanges and fittings could be a half million dollars on these major refineries and stuff like that. So you need to know where your asset is. Of course, traceability is what's the DNA of the asset. So what raw material went into it mm. and who and, and how has it been affected from point A to point, point D, E, F, G? Usually an average piece of pipe will have at least eight different stakeholders impact that pipe before it gets installed at the facility or the pipeline. Mm. So the value right now is in status quo was traditionally the critical information on that pipe was stenciled on on the asset yeah. and then written on a clipboard. Right. Well, the unfortunate part is a four can look like a nine and seven can look like a one. There's a lot of human error entry, both in the stencil side of the business, as well as in the clipboard and, and documentation side of the business. Yeah. So when you have a situation where you're going to weld two pieces of pipe together, you need to know what those two pieces of pipe are. You need to know that you're properly using the right weld procedure because item A is item A and item B is item B. So that's the that's the easiest explanation of that, of making sure you're building the highest quality and safest infrastructure, knowing that the raw material is the raw material. Unfortunately, if there's an incident, let's say 20 years from now, 30 years from now, the regulators also are are demanding that each owner operator not only be able to give all the data on that asset that that had the incident yeah. around it, but also communicate to the regulator where are all the other assets that are made exactly like this asset. So you see that in, in automotive mostly with a recall, right? I've got a forerunner. When something goes wrong, they know exactly where all the forerunners are in the world Okay, and which forerunners have that exact part in it. It's the exact same thing in oil and gas. Oil and gas needs the ability that if a flange or a fitting is found out to not meet its specs that that everyone thought that it met, the industry has to be able to identify those assets and create a game plan to to replace them. So is it only apply for all new stuff coming out of a shot that you can start capturing this stuff? Or is it, can you go out to existing facilities or different, you know, existing equipment and then start applying it or, or like what's a typical scope of work for you guys to come in you know assuming new work is awarded what, what does that look like for you guys like how do you actually yeah, great. apply well 
yeah, great opportunity to, to define that, right? The solution, so our software platform and our services can help with both. However, for the most part, especially in the Houston market, or I guess the overall US market, it's it's much more focused on a move forward capital project perspective. Makes sense. Because you can't find data that was never captured, right? Like when you go back and look at historical documentation, if the data wasn't captured, it wasn't captured. Our software pointing that out that, hey, hey there's no data captured there. Right. That's, it's still good to, to know where you have data, where you don't have data. Mm-hmm. But I could even bring up like FIMSA's new regulation 192. So they, they announced it in last October and they essentially said, you need to have traceable, verifiable and complete data for your historical assets and your, your assets moving forward. You needed to know that right down to your pipe and your components of your pipeline. As little as in the last three weeks, they've updated that to say, if you have traceable, verifiable, complete documentation on your hydro tests of that line, historically, you don't need to dig deeper than that. Move forward, though, you have to not only have traceable, verifiable, and complete, but in section 192.67, they list and accurate. So now you need to know that your data is accurate and complete. So that is where the industry is looking at, okay, from a move forward standpoint, how do we as quickly and efficiently catch up to Toyota and aerospace and aviation who for decades have been using probably really big spreadsheets to, to track a lot of stuff. And that's where we've taken all those best practices from those other industries and slapped it into a SaaS platform so that any owner-operator tomorrow can say, okay, on a single project or on this whole region of projects, I'm now going to include in the RFP stage a line item that says, I'm buying not just your, your material from you, I also am purchasing that data, and I need that data in this format, in this frequency, and if not, there'll be fulfillment clauses. So... That's the transition that's happening is operators are starting to realize that even though they haven't been getting it, they've been buying the data this whole time. Right. They just haven't been getting it in the format that they can use it. They get it in a turnover package, in a binder, in a banker box three months after the pipeline has been commissioned. Wow. That's crazy. And actually, that was, that was going to be one of my questions is, is if there was going to be any mandates or any requirements for people to start doing that. I mean, certainly the value is there, but... If, if there's some sort of, you know, stipulations as to saying like you, you're required to keep up with this type of data and here's why, you know, then it's a, it's a, it's a huge win for you guys, obviously. So it's, is there anything out there? Like, like say for instance, like, you know, API is, you know, as per API standards or as per API process, is there a regulating body or anyone that's like, as a whole is telling people that they need to be managing this type of data in this type of way or? Yeah. So one quick thing I'd want to say is as an industry, we always want to move forward on our, on our own. We don't want to force the regulators into a position where they need to force it on the industry. And Ventry is definitely here to support our, our, our stakeholders and partners being ahead of the curve on that perspective. So while we of course pay attention to all the changes in regulations, the really nice silver lining, you asked for silver linings earlier. 
a lot of the owner operators are starting to see the value of data analytics, right? Mm. And they're they're going down the path of machine learning and RPAs and and all these different tools, data visualization tools. And the common trend there is they start doing this and they go, wait, I don't have any clean data to feed into these systems. So that's the natural pull for for this kind of data, which is is growing exponentially right now, which is great to see. Then the the subscribed pull or push is to your point. So SIPA Foundation in Canada or SIPA in Canada, FIMSA, FERC, API, CSA, all of these acronyms, and many acronyms you want to throw out there, yeah. they're all starting to either throw out a best practice or build out the verbiage within their record of materials sections mm. and saying, hey, on, on lines over six inch, you should really be able to capture this, this, and this. The nice part is that all they're really asking for is the industry to capture it in a flat file, which is an Excel spreadsheet. They're not making anyone go out there, and we're not either. All we're asking the industry is to get it in in an Excel sheet rather than a PDF or both. A lot of people are worried about you need a signature. Yeah, sign the PDF, but also have that data in a spreadsheet so that software can read it. Yeah. So yeah, so to specific examples, API 5L has groups working together on like a digital MTR initiative, which would be a best practice. And then Inga has put out reports to all of its membership around just best practices on requesting usable data within the construction of a project, within the manufacturing of a project. So definitely moving forward in the right direction. And I personally think it's a really good balance of not prescribing exactly what each owner operator has to do. Yeah. And rather saying, hey, you will find value both from regulatory compliance, but also a lot more value from eliminating inefficiencies within your supply chain by by having usable data. Interesting. No, that, that makes sense. So what would you say is the biggest limit or challenge for Ventry, you know, graining more traction or, or, or scaling up, if you will? I mean, it sounds like to me, it's, it's a no brainer, but I mean, what kind of challenges are you guys facing from a business perspective to, to get it in the hands of everyone that could potentially have the value by having something like this? In one word, time. <laughs> yeah. Explaining that. So, you know, our industry is built around long lead purchases and long, long lead planning, right? Yeah. To go pre-feed to feed to detail design and, and manufacturing, then construction, and then commissioning. On most projects, we're talking multi-year here. So mm. if someone's listening to this and they're going, I really want to explore this, it all depends where you are in your project because we've entered a project mid-coding and made it work and had it all work out, no problem. But in an ideal situation, you want to introduce these kind of ideas when the first RFI or RFP goes out on a project. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's, it's usually you introduce it to an owner-operator they then have to get it into the right stakeholder for the next project. And unfortunately, we're seeing on both sides of the border, the next project isn't coming as fast as it used to. There's a lot of curveballs being thrown our way from water permits to right-of-way challenges and, and this and that. So yeah, the second we get a single project with an owner-operator, we've been very fortunate that we're almost written in as, as spec on projects moving forward. It's, it's getting that first project with each owner operator so that they can have the internal business case and the internal numbers to share it 
within their stakeholders. Let's face it. I can create as many beautiful marketing pages as I want to. Yeah. Um, the, the C-suite and VPs don't believe that marketing. They want to see it on their side in their organization. What impact did it make? Right. So getting that first project and the time getting in at the right time on that first project is why this isn't just exponentially out there. The other one is, unfortunately, the industry got really confused back when there was a big push on this and they all implemented tracking systems and not traceability systems. Uh, Everyone went down the logistical, hey, where is my asset? I want to see it on, just like I see my package on Amazon. And they, they got confused with, oh no, I have a traceability solution on this. Well, do you? Can you, can you verify that your MTR and the heat number from your MTR is correct on all nine stages of that pipe moving through its lifespan? What QAQC have you actually applied to that data to make sure that five years from now, when you can't go look at that pipe and you can't look at the construction documents or you can't phone up Bob from, from the right-of-way to ask him to check into something, five years from now, when all you have is that data, can you trust it? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fascinating, man. I mean, I don't, like you said, I don't think people maybe thought of, I wouldn't have thought of the difference between traceability and trackability. So I'm glad you're clearing that up and shining light on that. With regards to, you mentioned marketing, how is it right now being that, you know, it's, you can't go visit with customers and, and you can't go, you know, tell, you know, beat the streets downtown Calgary to spread the good word. I mean, what kind of marketing strategies have you guys found that, that have been helpful? I mean, anything kind of unique and different that maybe two or even last year or something you didn't even think of? Or is that something that you guys are not too focused on? Or what does that look like for you guys? Oh, no, you've got to be focused on it all, right? Because oil and gas is so heavily relationship-based sales. Mm-hmm. Back to the time thing. I mean, to get in on a project presentation at the right time, you've got to have a network of champions that might not be the decision maker or economic buyer, but they can make an introduction for you to the, to the stakeholders that need to know about this and need to keep it in mind the next time. Cause you don't need a budget for this. You need a line item in a, in a game plan on a project at at pre feed and feed. Mm. You just need to say, Hey, we're going to make sure we ask our suppliers for usable data. That's all you need. You don't even need to throw out a budget for it at that point because We've never had a project where we don't just easily fit into the QAQC side of it or within a supply chain efficiency line item. So it's relationship-based sales without being able to go build relationships. There's no... Yeah, I know. Like some of my guys down there, I mean, for a bit there, they were able to get a handful of people out to the golf courses because the golf courses had been set up quite well for it. But there's no there's no patio drinks. There's no grabbing quick coffees and, and going to 10 networking things a week where one customer can introduce you to 15 others. So realistically for us, it's just been get information out there to as many people as possible and hope that they say, Hey, I would think a webinar on this to learn more is valuable. Yeah. So that's where we've done webinars with data visualization companies, with construction management software platforms. Oh, wow. Showing, showing everyone on our YouTube channel, this feeds this, this feeds this, all those kind of perspectives. Cool. And then kind of putting it out there as an open invitation to, hey, we'll do a webinar for anyone. At least you can get a sense of it. And then when stuff gets back to full presentations, we'd be happy to come in and, and show you all what it is. Because I think to your point, 
it's not a silver lining. It's, it's one of the hardships of startup right now is most organizations give a startup or give a new solution a chance because they trust the individual that is presenting it. Yeah. They, they take in your credibility as a person and being able to meet with you and say, okay, I'm not so sure about this new software, but I trust the person that's presenting it to me. Yeah. And therefore I'm going to give it a shot on a project. How do you build that credibility and trust without ever being able to meet the person? Yeah. Our, our industry doesn't work that way. There's, there's too many times where I'm talking to someone pre 2020 and I was just like, Hey, let's do a webinar. I'm, I'm in Calgary for two weeks, but then I'll be in Houston. And they're like, no, no, no. Call me when you're back in Houston. Mm-hmm. Call me when you're in Denver. Call me when you're in Dallas. That is just how our industry works. And so that has been a huge challenge where we've had to grow our sales team in this, in this perspective. And I'm currently training a number of individuals in each kind of hub city so that even though flights, I think are going to be limited for a lot longer than economies opening back up, they'll be able to at least get one of us in person with the others on a, on a video call. I can imagine having a startup right now and having to go through all that. And so it sounds like you guys have really like strategized and, and made sure, like you said, you mentioned a YouTube channel and webinars. I think if people aren't doing that, they're going to fall behind because it's, it's continuing to build that awareness and tell the story is so important. And like you said, not being able to get in front of people to actually engage on a personal level, but, but offering a value to people for free and offering the educational piece, I think is what is extremely important because everyone's on their, on their, whether it's their phones or their computers. And so, you know, blasting commercials for things is not the answer in Oldfield sales right now. It's how can you educate different potential customers or existing customers to build that relationship, to build a reputation, the trust in knowing that, Hey, this is something that would add value. And with how strict everyone's budgets are now offering up free education or free webinars is yeah. If you're trying to charge for that stuff now, you'd almost be silly. So good for yeah. you guys on, on taking that, that next step and, you know, just marketing really. Cause that's what it's coming down to. So, so one thing I do, and I want to respect your time here. So before we close out, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, but what does the future look like for, for Ventry for, for you guys? Do you have, you know, a 10 year plan on taking over the traceability world or what does that look like? Are you going to move into different sectors or what's the, what's the plan there? A big question. <laughs> so we're, we've got a, we've got a great core team and we're seeing a lot of momentum and, and seeing the industry really pick up on, we started with just pipelines. Now we're in facilities. We're having owner operators say, can you do this for this? Can you do this for this? And, and the fun part is yes. The offshore conversations now are getting really exciting because those assets are so much more expensive and and crucial to be right by the time a boat leaves shore, right? So a lot of growth opportunity there. We're getting the international calls of we've now done projects on 14 different countries. So we're starting as a small company, we've built a pretty decent brand of if someone's hitting their head against the wall around traceability, Ventry <laughs> does does get brought up, which we're, we're extremely grateful to our partners on that front. The tools we built allow us to take the concept of the traceability and, and the DNA of, of any asset to any market. We are heavily focused on the energy infrastructure market for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Because of our size, we want to stay 
focused on on a market that can really see great benefit and value from from this tool being deployed. However, it's so exciting right now having all these ILI machine learning companies and CAD model data visualization companies reach out on a regular basis saying, hey, we really want to see your data plugged into this. Right. And so there's a lot of excitement from that perspective. From a overall thought leadership standpoint, we've got an asset asset data best practices document that we just throw out there. And we just want anyone and everyone to know the tricks of getting better data from their supply chain. I think a big goal for me is in the next three to five years, no one needing that document because they already have that implemented within their organizations. They have within their RFPs and their engineering best practices, they have asset data best practices. So that'd be something that I'd throw out there as a major goal. And like I said before, creating opportunity in in Houston, Calgary, and future cities where something we haven't talked about, but our team of 20, a large portion of them are actually from the oil and gas industry. They were they were pipeline mechanical engineers, or they were outside of our geologists, or they're outside of the industry and they're running labs analyzing bug and bacteria data or they were an electrical engineer for non-oil gas infrastructure. So we've we've really been fortunate that because our whole business model is teaching people to translate translate their current status quo data into one common usable format, we also really hire on the fact of anyone and everyone from the industry that doesn't have technology experience can help us with that translation. So yeah, big term is be a technology company that is is either an example or a destination for individuals having to transition out of the oil and gas industry because of, of the headwinds of it and because of the changes from its previous status quo formula. Yeah, no, it, you know, and it's it's cool because there's always people that fear that, oh, technology or, or is going to take jobs away. Well, you know, I had a debate, well, not really a debate, but a good conversation with my cohort in school that I'm taking. And there were some students, you know, that were saying like, yeah, you know, there's debate out there about whether jobs are going to be taken or, you know, what's that look like? And and everyone had their own perspective. But, you know, from my experience, it's it's technology and digitalization and automation and stuff is it's all, it's just creating different jobs and it's creating different markets and different demands for, for power, not necessarily, you know, manpower out on a rig or out on location, but power to, you know, just develop and create and, and analyze data and come up with different decisions. And so, yeah, it's, it's cool to see, like you said, you're helping make, have, you're helping with that transition of people going from oil and gas to transferring into technology because, I mean, that's what it's going to take to, to make sure that people stay working. And, and quite frankly, you know, we, we need more, you know, we need, we need the man or like the people power to, to make this all happen. So it's cool to see you guys taking that on and, and, and offer and having that part of your vision, I, I think is, is the most important thing. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's nice in that so many people like you're like you're bringing up so many people think it's like a light switch, right? You just turn it on and off. Innovation just gets turned on and then boom. There's this huge ripple effect of change. Yeah. Proper change management, especially with digital transformation, all of our best owner-operator partners will give the same advice when we invite them on our webinars or our talks. 
just take it one step at a time. Right. And you, you can't run, you have to walk first. And that walking process involves a lot of partners. It involves a lot of people learning alongside the, the technology, learning alongside the innovation. Because if you don't involve enough stakeholders, you skip over some critical stuff. Mm. If, you, if you just built out, I mean, so we're a data preparation platform, but if we just used a generic data preparation platform that's out there in the market, like that gets used by like big Fortune 500 companies, none of them know the nuance between a gathering line pipe, a transmission pipe, or all the little nuances that our industry specifically knows, right? right. And that's, that's where the people come in as so critical of, we have facility engineers, pipeline engineers, integrity engineers on contract with us that make sure that our dev team is, is building it out so that it works for the industry, not so that we try to go to the industry and say, hey, we need you ad- to adapt so you fit this software. Right. Interesting. Well, look, man, you've, you've been a wealth of knowledge. One last question I wanted to ask before we close out here. You know, you're busy. You got you working for a tech company at your house. You and your wife are both busy. You got, you know, dogs and kids, like you said. I mean, do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to, to your overall success, both personally and from your career? And, and just anything that kind of helps keep you having that laser focus on, on continued growth? My two things, I mean, there's, there's a million different great things around prioritization tips and, and hacks and tricks and all that stuff. So I always have to, to hit the reset and prioritize because I'm the kind of person that wants to do everything yeah. <laughs> and, and get everything done. But what's, what's actually going to bring the most value to my team and, and my, my customers? So that, that's an easy one. Everyone can, can look up and figure out a prioritization tool that helps them eat the frog, right? I think the biggest thing I'd say out there is the partnerships. They say there's the age old stuff of like a child is raised by a village or it takes a village, right? A startup takes a village. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and, and reach out to mentors, to colleagues, and also the people working for you. Anyone and everyone can be a support system. If you try to strike out and, and figure everything out on your own, you will not succeed. As a startup, I mean, you're so destined to like, okay, I'll just, I just won't sleep tonight and I'll just research this and research that and, and, then, and then I'll be better prepped for that. Rather than, hey, I know someone over at that startup. I think they went through that last year. I'm going to give them a call and ask if they can give, any, give me 10 minutes of tips. Yeah. Oh, wait, I just saved three hours. That's what I would say is my biggest advice is I hope that the, the startup community sees and, and acts as an ecosystem that supports each other rather than competitors that can't talk because they're worried someone's going to swipe them. Sure. I married up, right? Like I married a brilliant woman that was in management consulting for a while. And I got to see all these people so worried about even sharing their idea. And she'd always say, ideas are cheap. Like execution is where it's at. So yeah, no, that's, don't, be, uh, I love don't it. be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of talking to people about your ideas yep. and getting different perspectives so that you can work through stuff quicker. Because if you silo yourself, it's a much harder trek. And if you, if you surround yourself with a good group of people that you can trust and be vulnerable with, 
you get a lot more done a lot more efficiently. Yep. No, that's great advice to close out with, man. That's a huge nugget. And hopefully, and I'm sure everyone stayed to the end, but that's where the rubber met the road there, Jeff. So thanks for sharing that. I did want to announce we obviously have some upcoming events that are a little bit hindered, but I'll go ahead and let our ladies tell us about that. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey? Well, we're on a bit of a halt right now and on the on the bench, but come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We usually do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. We had it going for a, about a month and then that got shut down again. So stay tuned for some more information on that. And if you're looking to get in shape over summer, visit KTX Fit and Katie and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You guys are up to some really cool things. I'm going to put your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes along with the website. You mentioned YouTube. Is there anything else? And you can send me the links, but is there anything else if people are interested in learning more about this subject or even more about what you guys offer? What would be the best way to to get some of that information? Yeah, so we've got our website, VentureTech.com. And on there, we've got a link to our LinkedIn articles. So we've got like little blurbs and then longer articles that are published by other groups. On our website, we've also got the link to our YouTube channel. So we've got three or four webinars up there now where we bring in others, other startups to talk about how the technologies can complement each other. And then realistically, if you've got a direct question, I mean, I have been able to keep up with every direct question or request I have on LinkedIn. The generics, highs, I don't follow up with. But if you've got a direct question on LinkedIn, send it to me. I will respond. Excellent. No, I'm sure the listeners out there appreciate that. It's always nice to be able to reach out to someone that has the experience and, 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 you know, just having that, again, that human interaction, just to ask questions and learn. I think, you know, in the long run, it, it, it's a win for everybody. Well, again, Jeff, I hope you and your family continue to do great things. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.